Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Runner's World podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest training advice, news and interviews from the wide world of running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, tell us what we've got coming up on this month's episode. This month, founder of Good Gym, Evo Gormley, will be popping in to discuss how the running group is combining exercise with doing social good. Laura Fountain, founder of Lazy Girl Running, will be discussing running and motherhood. And ultra-runner Mark Thornbury will be talking about running with a terminal illness. What have you been up to, Ben, over the past month? I did a race. What kind of race? An unorthodox race. <laughs> no, I did London Triathlon. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah? Yeah, it was good. How'd it go? Yeah, well, it was all right. I was aiming for uh, sub-230, um, just to sort of see how um, my body was doing. And I got 231, so I was kind of like, yeah, fine, but also, yeah, yeah fine. Um secretly disappointed kind of and then i sort of went through the remit of like blaming everything else that wasn't my fault <laughs> so like oh the, the run course was too long they've not measured that but the bike was short so it's kind of like it yeah. all comes out in the wash important sort of to have an excuse though very very <laughs> yeah yeah what about you well i've been uh actually slightly more sedentary um pleasures i've been indulging in but i've been watching other people run very quickly at the european championship oh, so good. Particularly enjoyed the performances of Dina Asher-Smith and Laura Muir. Um, and also, I mean, I saw Sol Peter in the 5,000 metres thinking that she was on the last lap. and then I think everyone's seen that. Oh, God. I, felt, I was like, wow, this is an incredible like, like kick from 600 metres out. Yeah. And it was like, oh, no, she really thinks that's the finish line. But I've, I do, I kind of can sympathise to a degree in the fact that even on the, the triathlon, the run, the 10k was four laps. Right. And it says, count your laps. And I was like, four, I can count to four. <laughs> After two, <laughs> how many have I done? So, you know, it was like, I mean, and she's a professional, so she should you know can, better. You... But at the same time, I can see where that mindset can come in and the counting can fall <laughs> at the wayside. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, yeah, she was kind of um, inconsolable then, which she was kind of I on think the, you on, there. Yeah, on yeah. track crying. But there you go. It's a cruel sport. I'm um, also, I'm. Uh, I'm going to run, try to run 40 miles along the North Downs Way in September Ooh. to celebrate the route's 40th birthday. I'm um, first of all, what's the furthest you've ever run? I have once run, and by that I mean run, walk, sob, uh, 62 miles in a day. Oh. I mean, we're going to get Mark Formbury on at some point in this show, who runs over 100 miles for fun. So I don't want to sort of big up my own ultra running credentials, but I think 40 miles will be doable as long as lots of that is a walk. No, oh, nice. I'm quite surprised that the North Downs Way is, is so young. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, you think of it as kind of these ancient parts. Yeah, that's what I'd really like to think of it. I'm going to ignore that it's 40, yeah, to yeah. be honest. 400 years old. I'm going to consider that, like, wagons were drawn along by <laughs> and all those sorts of things, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, it slightly detracts from the, the path's kind of um, rural magic, doesn't it? The fact that it's kind of middle-aged, but anyway. Sure. Um, anyway, let's get on with the, uh, the, the show. This is the Runner's World Podcast. In June last year, Mark Thornby received the devastating news that he had terminal liver cancer. Instead of signalling an end to his running career, Mark decided to use his running to raise awareness about the disease. He's gone on to complete multiple ultramarathons and raise over £70,000 for charity. Um, thanks very much for joining us, Mark. Great. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, uh, you came to my attention from the Grand Union Canal race at, um, via Twitter. I think it was right. when I first heard right. of your exploits. Um, I mean, it's 145 miles. Yep. How, what does it feel like to run that far? Uh, tiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. It's, a, it's an absolutely fantastic race, let me say that. It's a complete beast. Uh, and when you run through, it was sort of 85 degrees on the Saturday. And then we, it was held at the end of the May. And if you may recall, we had that titanic electrical storm. So sort of going from wearing literally a vest to four layers of clothing at one o'clock in the morning was quite interesting. And my blisters just went ballistic as well. So I ended up hobbling it in in a lot longer than I thought it would take me. But it is some race. It's the UK's sort of oldest ultra marathon. So it's sort of quite iconic. And I think anybody who runs sort of long inverted commas, it's one on the checklist that you want to do. And I, I'd run it last September because I couldn't do it last May in 2017 because I'd just got out of hospital having gone in for the first procedure for my cancer. So I'd run it as a charity thing with, with friends. Um, well, I thought I'd be running it on my own, but the outpouring of absolute support and love from the running community was fantastic so I ended up doing it in three sort of roughly 50 mile chunks which I didn't know if I could do but I ended up doing it and and people dragged me through that so I was sort of aware and knew what was coming but there's a lot of people in the community run 100 miles and the Grand Union is completely flat except for Sainsbury's Hill that's about Harlesden, so it's quite near the Harrow Road. You see, you're two miles okay. from home, and it's the sort of back entrance, and there's this little brick rise going up, probably about 15 feet, <laughs> and it is Mount Everest. Yeah. I promise yeah. you, you're 143 miles in. So anyway, so people think of it as a flat race, and it's just another 45 miles on top of 100. And I think I, I think I blogged about this, and I said that you know, if you think that, then you've got something completely different coming. So it's. It's it's an iconic race. It has a 50% DNF rate pretty much every year, which, again, it's not a testimony to me doing it. It's a testimony to how tough the race is. And I think if you don't get your head right, you, you won't finish it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, completing a race like that is pretty extraordinary under any conditions. But obviously you're doing this right. with you know, terminal liver cancer. I mean, what are some of the, cha- the challenges, both physical and mental, yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, I'm an old codger as well, so I've got all those physical challenges of, of joints not working. But I guess as because I have liver cancer and there's a couple of things that make me a far less efficient runner than normal, inverted commas, people is that I don't process nutrients as efficiently, I don't store glycogen as efficiently, which are kind of things you need if you're going to do endurance running. So I always think maybe I should write to the race director and say, could I start the 20-mile point, you know? But, <laughs> yeah. 
But hey, you know, that never, never going to happen. So I know I'm definitely slower. I can see it. Not that I'm a slave to Strava or to a spreadsheet, but I just intrinsically know I'm slower than I was, uh, you know, 18 months ago or whatever. So yeah, they're, they're, they're some of the challenges. And I, I think mentally they don't, I guess these long races act as a spur to me because, you know, lots of people have been supporting me emotionally as well as kind of fiscally and, and helping with the fundraising for KCH. So I feel I'm sort of duty bound to get on and, and finish it and I'll bloody crawl if I'll have to, you know, um, which luckily I haven't had to do. But I think it just sharpens you in some respects as well. Notwithstanding, you're going to, it's going to take you longer to do it than otherwise. Yeah, kind of added motivation. To, to oh, do totally. It. Yeah. Absolutely, totally. Um, following your um, initial diagnosis, was there a, a real turning point for you mentally where you decided that running was going to be the main sort of output that you had or was it just always part of your life that kind of like the two collided and oh gosh I think if you ask my wife that question she'd say it's pretty seamless you know you were running bore before darling you're, just, <laughs> you're still a running bore but I, I think I had initial um, you know diagnosis I had cancer and then I had some treatment and then I had a second prognosis which is it didn't work the first lot and uh, and when you get somebody you know a medic say you really ought to go and get your affairs in order you're thinking oh dear and what I did the next day, I went out for about a 20-mile run and on my own, just took a pack and some water and food and sort of head off, headed off into the Surrey Hills where I live. And, and I sort of said, well, if I have short time, what's the thing I really like doing? It's running. And I want to be able to do something in terms of fundraising. So I sort of married two t- t- together. And a couple of friends also said, that's a good idea and kind of helped me fashion that and helped me fashion that sort of to two and a half three day run down the uh, the grand union so yeah there, it, there was there was never any great catalytic moment but i always knew it would be something i carry on doing do you think that running has helped you to to stay positive in that sense oh god absolutely uh without a shadow of a doubt because you know I, i've done this and you know I, in, in other media i talk about dark rooms and and talking to other people who are members of the Sea Tribe, as which I dub us, who have got cancer, it's very easy to get dragged into the, this dark room and never get out of it. And then it becomes a bit sort of self-perpetuating and you, you drag down. So I think staying out of a dark room is really, really important. And what's the best way of doing that? It's, you know, sticking your, your daps on and, and off you go. Yeah. So it really has helped in that regard. On one of our earlier podcasts, we had a guy called Kevin come in who was uh, prostate cancer. Was yeah, Kevin Weber. Yeah. yeah, he's done some good really stuff. Really nice guy. Yeah. And um, he was really actually sort of, it was great to hear how passionate he was about running sort of strange miles that he never thought he would bother right. to have run before. I think running and, and running sort of long distances, it becomes a sort of proxy for how you're doing and how you're getting on and right. your sort of marker to to how you feel. So I felt like that. I went and ran a race called the Havelina 100. 100 because it's uh in the sonoran desert in arizona and by the way the rate the, the race is bonkers it's <laughs> absolutely it's fantastic it's brilliant i mean imagine putting on a fancy dress race for 100 miles in the middle of you know 95 degree heat yeah I mean, it, it's God. just totally mad uh jackie O won it by this amazing woman and she right. ran the 100 mile and not the 100k and that was just brilliant but anyway i went and did it and i sort of you know looked at my air miles and thought well i could stay in howard johnson's and it wouldn't cost a, a lot of money for me to do it and the reason reason i went is a, it's, it's a bit like that sort of full moon moment is that i just really wanted to be in some darkened canyon at three o'clock in the morning and use expletives which i won't use uh, <laughs> now um but you can imagine yeah. 
because to me that was a release and it's saying like I'm still here I'm still fighting and you know come and get me if you dare sort of thing so I completely get where Kevin was coming from I think you know I've had similar type of experiences so yeah do you think that running has like on a physical level has has made you um has helped you to fight cancer oh definitely because you know, I, I don't have the classic, you know, the, the, the cancer I have, there isn't the classic here, take, here's some chemo drugs and take them, you know, four times a day. I don't have that. I've never, there, there is, a, in fact, there's only one systemic drug uh, tablet you can take, which shows you how far liver cancer is down here in terms of its research profile and closeness to a cure or other ways of prolonging, you know, or giving you quality of life. So I haven't had that. So I've had these pretty invasive procedures which have typically involved sticking things in my hepatic vein and dropping payloads of radioactive isotopes on my tumour site and all that stuff. So to do, you know, to tolerate those, you need a level of fitness. And so that, so running helps me be fit. Yeah. And so I can actually tolerate this. So they're, they're, they're happy, you know, the medics are happy for me to kind of engage in. And they can try stuff on me, which is which is great. What races have you got coming up? Oh gosh, so I've got I've, I'm bo- sort of booked out till March. So uh, anybody wants? No, no, I was going to do the personal appearance <laughs> thing. But so in uh, Saturday week, I'm running a race called the Coast to Coast, uh, which is 140 miles non-stop. Only 140 this time. Yeah, but I've only got 38 hours to do it in. That's, oh, that's right. the race cutoff, which people will go, oh, that's ages. So if I divide 140 by 26, I mean, you're running. I mean, please try and run 140 <laughs> miles. Um, so I'm doing that, which starts in Whitehaven on the North Sea and ends at Tynemouth. Uh, sorry, Whitehaven in the Irish Sea and ends at Tynemouth in the North Sea. And it's sort of, oh, that's on a, it's on the old coast-to-coast cycle path. Right. So you'd be doing lots of B roads and cycle tracks. you still got to traverse the lakes and the Pennines. So there's a nice bit of elevation. You know, I think it's probably 16,000 feet of cumulative climb yeah. and, and, and the quad bashing downs to come as well. So I'm doing that. Uh, it's, uh, Mark Cobain is a, is a race director who's certifiably bonkers and does these amazing <laughs> challenges this is probably his easiest one i guess and i look at the stuff he puts on and the real strip back back to basics you know not an aid station every seven miles you know offering you watermelon type stuff which is i do those races as well by yeah, way, and yeah. i love watermelon um <laughs> but it's really kind of basic and I, i'm lining up there thinking you know this is really going to push me maybe mm. 18 months ago i think the timing i would think yeah i could do that but yeah. i'm not sure now but I'm going to give it a crack. So that's uh, um, August 25. Then on October, in the middle of October, I'm doing uh, the Autumn 100, which will be the third time I've done it, which is done by a Centurion. We were discussing mm. those yeah. earlier. So it's their last of their uh, series of 400s they do in the southeast. So I'm doing I mean, I love their events. They're just fantastic. Uh, but also it's a Western States ballot qualifier as well. Yeah. So if you know the Western States, another mm. iconic, oldest U.S., ultra marathon and i've got rolled up kind of point ballot points not got in yet but yep. hopefully for next uh, oh it'd be great it'd be great. good so that's that what else oh yes running in belgium 100 miler on december the 16th just east of brussels oh, nice it, and warm yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> fantastic uh really there's a couple of great guys who've really grabbed hold of the benny Lux sort of ultra running scene uh steph and tim so i'm running one of their races for the first time then I get six weeks off again, and I'm running uh, just a brilliant race put on by Mud Crew, who are, who are put on loads of 
ultras in the southwest. Mm. That's called the Arc of Attrition. Oh, right, yeah. So it's on the southwest coastal path on Feb 1. So if the elevation and bumps don't get you, then I'm sure the gale's coming off the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. Atlantic will. And then four weeks after that, really good piece of planning by me. I'm going back to do another race in uh, Belgium, but this time in the Ardennes, and it's called the uh, Legends Trail, which is 250 kilometres. So about, what's that, 155 miles? Over a couple of days? or uh, That's continuous. So it's up right. to you. You've got, okay. I think there's a 60-hour, but that's got 25, 27,000 feet of climb. You would have thought Belgium, it's flat. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah that's my reaction. No, it's totally flat. But then again, you think, you know, Battle of the Bulge and what held up the German supply lines. Well, it was effectively, it was very, very hilly. Mm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that immensely, he said with his fingers firmly <laughs> crossed. And, and then I haven't booked anything, and, uh, and I get after that. So I've got loads of races to do, and perhaps I'm not leaving enough time, but I, I kind of have that I can't hang around sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who knows? But there's a whole slew of things I'd like to do next year. Is, is there um, a fine balance between treatment and training? Is it the, the two... Th- is there, are you currently in a stage of treatment that would counteract training or is it now just in a process of being nice to yourself? And have you- oh, right. So I had a procedure uh, five, nearly six weeks ago which where they found another small tumour. That's, that's the game. Mm. But it's in a, in a treatable area. So I've just been um, had a procedure which is called microwave ablation. Which I said, and thank God I was under general anaesthetic, as I tell all and sundry, nobody likes to smell their own organs roasting. So, uh, um, so I've had that done, and it took me a bit of time to recover from that, and a bit of physical pain on the wound site, and then you do get some little side effects, and you do feel tired because you know you you have you know they've been sort of working on you, so that kind of impacts mm. training a little bit. Um, so the you know, I'm going into the coast to coast feeling a little undercooked, but hey, you know, when you run that sort of distance, it's your mental resilience that kind of counts for a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be on the podium. I'm not looking to, you know, I just want to finish it. Yeah. So yes, it does. It does. So for me, as I said, I don't take any sort of daily drugs, but I've been in hospital five times and you come out and there's a bit of time to recover and you hope you sort of planned your running and your racing around around giving yourself a little bit of time. But I'm reasonably, you know, I, I'm reasonably fit. You know, I have a core, I think, and a base level of fitness that kind of gets me through. And it's just mm. the sharpening bits that yeah. you uh, yeah. that you really want to work on. And, and you know, which sometimes I, I'm denied. But, hey, you know, they're not, it's not a big handicap. I, I guess one of the reasons uh, I, I am raising money and using running as a vehicle for that is that cancer is... It's underfunded, and I guess I have liver cancer, and liver cancer rates about 18th in terms of the league table. Right. You know, breast cancer, lung cancer, and the bigger cancers uh, naturally attract more money because they attract more interest from the um, big pharma pharmaceutical companies, which which you kind of get it because the target market is much is much wider, and that sort of frustrates me because I, I'm on I can't be cured. I know that I'm hoping for for longer time. That's the best for me, and part of that my frustration is that you know I, I relate it to me is that is that you know I got my cancer because I had liver disease and. Um, I knew the numbers were different for me from the general population. In fact, the numbers equate to uh, the probability equates to that of Leicester City winning the Premiership. So, hey, you'd, you'd take those numbers all day long, wouldn't you? Um, 
but I'm I'm raising funds because okay, I, I've raised I think about eighty to eighty three thousand pounds so far. I'm trying to get over a hundred thousand pounds, and who knows, I'll I'll kick on from there. And I and I look at some of the big cancer charities who do fantastic work, but you look at the net amount of money that goes into my cancer; it's tiny. And I have a cancer which is known as an orphan cancer because of its correlation and closeness to liver disease. And frankly, the more I engage, and I am definitely the world's worst amateur hepatologist, it just seems that it's just too difficult to solve liver cancer. It's really difficult and really hard. And I, I spend a long, long time talking to hepatologists and oncologists because I'm interested in, in, in my condition. And they say, yeah, it's really hard. It's not like lung cancer or breast cancer where you know there are certain treatment pathways, you know, if A, then B, then C. Yeah. It's not like that. And, and all liver cancers have... You know, much as other cancers, but more so are very, very, very unique. So I don't know why I'm sitting here today. You know, I was told on June 26th that I'd have six to nine months to live and to put my affairs in order, which is kind of heavy, and that plays with your head a little bit. And then I did this, uh, they put me on this, um, I had this intervention which involved dropping radioactive isotopes onto my tumour site. And it had an amazing kind of... It, pulled me back from that precipice but they don't know they don't know why and why the guy down the hall had zero response mm. so that's what i'm trying to raise money for so there's a better understanding there's some good science that's engaged with that will allow the medics to say yeah if a then b then c yeah so better better patient outcomes are you trying to communicate a, a message through your running mark would you like have you thought about kind of what you'd like to communicate what your legacy what you'd like that to be uh, i think it's you know, at the end of the day, there's a, there's another guy, is um, uh, Tom Garrett out there, who was, you know, he was given you know, a very short time to live about six years ago, and he he said to me, he came on the canal run, the first one, and he said, never give up, which I think is is just a great thing, and it's an obvious thing, but people forget that. So, if you're out there being active, keeping out of the dark rooms, yeah, I'd like to say to people who are in similar position that, you know, find something. You know, it's terrible, and I, mentally, this is the most oppressive thing you can ever have happen to you you know because you live from scan i live from scan to scan and you're just hoping that the news isn't bad mm. you know if it's okay-ish then way that's a victory and off you go so it's really so it's kind of the message i say to people is look you don't have to be negative about this you know and and i always remember what my father used to say to me he always say kick the ball ahead son kick the ball ahead which is just saying look something will come down the pipe you know, there is no cure for me. I know that. But who knows? You know, as I say, there's a mad scientist with a test tube with, a, with the um, name Thorners on it, which is my nickname. So maybe they're out there somewhere. So it's kind of be positive. Keep going. You know, just keep going because who knows? Well, we wish you all the best of luck, Martin. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Thanks, the very, podcast. thanks very much. Cheers. This is the Runner's World Podcast. You're a man who always enjoys a, uh, an interesting study. I do. Guilty. Um, I came across one that, uh, about the benefits of running backwards. Okay. A recent study published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning found that five weeks of backwards running led to a notable improvement in forward running economy. Wow. Right? So that's the amount of energy you require to move forward at a certain speed, your okay. economy. Yeah. Um, backwards running is popular in Japan. Yep. While boxer Muhammad Ali used it in his training. Right. So... Five weeks of running backwards. Good, uh, good bit of heritage there. Um, I've never run backwards. I've heard that it is good because it helps replicate running form more efficiently. Yeah. But I want to know if anyone else out there has tried running backwards. Well, I have done it 
um, a couple of times, partly just to see what it's all about. And one thing I would say about backwards running is it's impossible to heel strike backwards running or you will fall on your ass. That's good to know. All so, right, so but, anyone who's looking to aim as a four-foot striker should get used to the motions of running backwards oh, to improve. That's what the study says. Um, okay, well, if anyone out there has ever tried backwards running, let us know what you thought of it, and if it helped, please email us, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Tell you what, Ben, we have a brilliant article coming out in the next issue of Runners World. Uh, it's all about pedestrianism, which was hugely popular in the 18th and 19th century. Um, it's essentially the act of walking or running extremely long distances and can be looked at as a kind of precursor to ultra running. Um, the article is written by Damien Hall, who himself is, is a great ultra runner, and it's an absolute hoot to read. Um, it describes a world of huge wages, strange handicaps such as walking with a 25 kilogram fish on your head <laughs> and attempts to maim your competition by setting their feet alight. Uh, pedestrians or peds, as they were known, were given incredible nicknames too. There was Edward Weston, the wily wobbler so-called because of his shambling gait. <laughs> and my particular favourite, Foster Powell, the Astonishing Pedestrian. Um, if there's a better band name than the Astonishing Pedestrians... <laughs> Playing live at I'd Dublin Castle. <laughs> Up next, the Astonishing Pedestrians. It's incredible, isn't it? Anyway, it's well worth a read, and it's out in the next issue of Runner's World, which is out later this month. This is the Runner's World podcast. We're delighted to have with us in the studio personal trainer, running coach and writer, Laura Fountain. Uh, Laura is a brains behind Lazy Girl Running and has completed various marathons and ultramarathons. She recently became a parent, so we thought it'd be good to talk to her about the impact that that has had on your running. So, Laura, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Hello. It's weird hearing you say parent. Like, I think I've just come to terms with being a mum, but the word parent is like a whole other level, isn't it? So if you're even more responsible. It feels more responsible, yeah. yeah like, I should crushing. have all this knowledge that... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't do this, don't do that. Okay. Well, you know, one of the articles that is coming out in the next issue is, is all about um, sort of running as a parent and the guilt that some parents uh, feel on account of their kind of their hobby taking up loads of time. Do you think it's hard for running parents to strike that kind of run life balance? I do. I think. Um, when, so when I was on my way here, I bumped into someone I knew, and their immediate thing that they said to me before they said hello was. Where's your baby? <laughs> and I know, obviously, he's very cute and he's quite quite new. Um, so people are excited to see him. But also, I think that's quite a common greeting when you see someone. It's like, where's, where's, your, where's your child? Um, and I have said, oh, God, where, where have I left him? <laughs> um, and I think that that kind of fuels the guilt that parents um, have when they're doing anything for themselves. Like, oh, I should be looking after my child 24-7. But... My child's lucky enough to have two parents, um, so usually when I'm not with it, his um, other parents with him. So yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I do feel guilty sometimes when I'm doing things away from him. But again, I'm allowed to be a person as well as a parent, um, as is his father. But obviously, like I see people on social media. Um, particularly mums, that when they go out for a run and they post, oh, I've been out for a, a three-mile run while the baby was with. And it seems to be mums more than dads, but maybe that's because of the people that I follow, that seem to suffix their runs with that. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, shout out to the dad or shout out to the grandparents. But I feel that maybe there's a bit of guilt underneath that, yeah. that saying, oh, the baby's fine, the baby's fine, everyone. Yeah. Mm. Um, he was here, he was there, mm. looked after. But I'm not reading people's posts and assuming that they've left their child at home screaming <laughs> while they've gone, gone on a tempo run. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm out running again, leaving the kid at home. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I think you're right. And maybe it is more of a women feel the need to say that more than more than blokes. I can only speak for. I know that you know dads uh, have issues as well, but I can only speak as a mum. So before you. Uh, before people tweet me and say, what about dads? I'm not dad. I, can I, I can't dad. speak to you. I'll represent, <laughs> dads, yeah. I'll represent that group right there now. There you go. Do you uh, feel guilty? Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the the immediate effect kind of is a time thing. So when, like, it's never like I'm going to go out for the two and a half hours that I want to do. It's the I'm going to do the hour that I've got, right? So that And then to say, like, I actually really need to do two and a half is kind of like it's not a thing anymore. I think then, then and that's a guilt that comes from a guilt point of view like i don't want to leave my partner looking after him for that long if she, if she did i mean she'd love to it's not a problem but this, you know it's, yeah. it's more like it's a shared thing right you this is a shared responsibility so the guilt would be like oh it's the weekend and i don't see him all week so now i feel guilty because i'm not spending time with him and i'm being selfish because i'm running yeah that's where my guilt would would mm. come in so i mean yeah there's 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 that side of it for sure how old's your child 20 months they still sleep quite a bit, don't they? He has a, a nap in the afternoon. We're only one now, though. Oh. Are either of you doing the kind of running buggy, you know, take your take your child with I you? I haven't. I wish I kind of had now. Yeah. I was really sort of like, no, if I want to run, I want to run. Without, okay. without him. Yeah. So I was just like, I want to, I don't want to have to, like, I felt like it would be weird for form. I thought I'd have to adjust to do bits and pieces. But actually, I've got friends who run with their kids, and it seems like a great way of just get, yeah. carting them around. What about you, Laura? Yeah, I went out yesterday and did four and a half miles of the buggy. Um, that's the longest I've done so far. It's it's good, yeah, for a few easy miles around the park while he sleeps because he doesn't like to sleep places other than the buggy still. Okay, right. Um, so in the morning he'll have a nap in his cot, but in the afternoon it tends to have to be in the buggy, so it's two birds, one stone. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. There was an incredible buggy record set, wasn't there, recently? That's phenomenal. Half marathon. Triple buggy, and it was what one twenty nine. One twenty nine, I think. It's American a triple buggy. Uh, American woman. I mean, if you actually look at the picture, it's the the, the middle child is seven. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, they, I mean, no, I'm, I mean, this adds to it, I'd say, because that's a, that's a From extra a weight, weight perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's kind of like a poor seven year old scrunched into the <laughs> middle of it. I'm sure he was fine. I want to say poor seven year old. I'm sure he was fully, you know, compliant. But it's just quite a funny picture of this. It's sort like of, pushing an airline. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Ryanair <laughs> so, seat row in front of you. It's an impressive time. It's amazing. Well, it's an impressive time without a, a yeah, buggy. For sure. Yeah, there you go. Um, there's been a fair amount of kind of information about running while pregnant. Um, quite a lot of misinformation, I think. And But do you think that pregnant women are still made to feel kind of strange or irresponsible about running? I think, yeah. I, I guess from the fitness community, I think they're quite encouraging. I found... Um, other people at my gym, very encouraging. One of the trainers would always come and have a chat with me because his partner was pregnant at the same time. Um, but I think people that maybe don't exercise so much kind of look at you. Well, they look at you strange when you're exercising anyway sometimes, don't they? So to be pregnant and exercising, they think that's doubly strange. And I did a 10K when I was, I think I was about 20 weeks pregnant. And it was Regent's Park 10K. I was doing it as a part of a friend's Hindu, um, And... So we weren't setting any world records. We were all uh, had Wonder Woman sunglasses on and taking it easy. And it's three laps. And on the second lap, I needed the toilet. But I knew where the toilets were um, 
in the park. But since I'd last used them, they'd introduced a oh, 20p, 20p charge. And I didn't have 20p on me. I was in a race. So yeah. I, I knocked on the attendant's door and said, can you let me through? I need the toilet. And he said, have you got 20p? I said, no, I'm doing a race. I'm pregnant. Um, and he said, well, you shouldn't be running. And I was like, I don't want to argue with you because you stand between me <laughs> and a toilet. So I said, well, you know, can you can I just use the toilet then? And he let me through. But, um, yeah, I hope that was the only negative experience I had did you get did you get through i did i did i spent a penny not 20 penny (laughs) (laughs) you recently posted on twitter um about the pressure of publications such as the daily mail putting uh, on women after childbirth to get back to the pre-baby shape um i mean it's obviously high time we updated that notion of getting back in shape post baby yeah um what do you think of the major sort of stumbling blocks in that well i think that um for one i think it's kind of ironic that the daily mail they they had this article saying um with a, a postnatal trainer saying women should leave it six months until they start running after birth and and i think the caption from the daily mail was uh mum's under too much pressure to get back into pre-baby shape and I thought well that's ironic as there's a number of your headlines praising (laughs) certain celebrities for getting back into look at their post-baby body eight weeks after and this and that and then celebrities that haven't uh body shaming them so I thought that was kind of ironic even though it's possibly a good message that people um there is too much pressure on people but also I think it only looks at your body post-pregnancy from a superficial point of view and what you see on the outside isn't necessarily what's going on on the inside. So if you imagine during pregnancy, everything moves about, your spine changes shape, all of your organs rearrange to make room for this bump and that's going to take, you know, it took nine months to get into that state. It's going to take as long to get back. Um, So just because you might look slim... Um, back to the same size that you were before pregnancy. It doesn't mean that internally everything's back in the same place or is as strong. So I saw a postnatal physio uh, at eight weeks post-birth and I saw her again at six months. Um, And she was able to assess me and say, "Okay, well, I think you can safely return to running because there's no major Mm. issues here. And then I saw her again at six months uh, and she said, oh, actually, you're you're standing a little bit too far forward so you're this is this is happening with your spine so try and be conscious of uh keeping your weight back um but again nothing major and that's not that's not something that's open to everyone you know i had to pay to go and see those have those appointments um i think in france that's quite standard we right, okay. see a postnatal physio um even if then even if you're not into exercising Pelvic floor health is a big issue for women post-pregnancy. And the six-month, six-week check that you see with your GP, that's very much a kind of a administrative thing. You know, they ask you a few questions. How are you feeling? Um, how are you healing? And how's the baby? They have a look at the baby. But they're not... It, they shouldn't be responsible for assessing your um, your... How you are internally, how... They're not physiotherapists, and I think that's too much pressure on GPs to say whether you're ready to run or not at that point because it's quite a quick appointment and they haven't got time, but there should be more support and more help for women um, regardless of whether they plan to run or not um, to help get their bodies 
back functioning just for day-to-day life because looking after a small child is yeah. very physical work. Well, you mentioned about the time frame. I think that that's, that's the, the greatest issue that I have with these things is the fact that, yes, it takes nine months of a, of a huge dramatic change of, of a woman's body and then all of a sudden it's like, cool, get thin again. And it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's insane. Like, oh, you know, there's this hip alignment, like abdominal separation. There's a whole world of things that are like yeah. fundamental to, well, running, that's what we're talking about, but like general posture like those sorts of things and i think um yeah i think if uh, i don't know if you have like a like a step by step almost of like how someone assesses themselves or you know what i mean like if there's if you sort of in your hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Head formulated a rough guide to returning to these things. Um, well, I guess you can, you can self assess if you have how much your abs have separated. Um, You can lay on the floor, put your head up a little bit as though you're going to do a crunch and just poke kind of above and below your belly button and how wide that gap is, you can see how far they've opened up. There's probably going to be a little bit of a gap. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't return to exercise. I've got a little bit of a gap. Um, Obviously, if it's really wide and really deep, then... You shouldn't be. You should be looking to do some sort of strengthening and take further advice on what that yeah. looks like. Um, obviously, if you're having urine leakage, there's pelvic floors issues going on there, um, and that's something you need to address. Mm. And any feelings of heaviness um, down there, yeah. that's 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 a warning sign too. Yeah, I think obviously the type of birth as well needs to be taken into consideration. We're talking probably like fairly classic sort of fairly seamless birth in a way but you know if, if people are introduced to sort of I know c-sections episiotomies and also then you're entering a whole world of recovery which you know yeah. is, is well something that bugs me is that people um they often say um six weeks if you've had a vaginal delivery actually they always say natural birth when actually what they mean is vaginal delivery um six weeks you've had a vaginal delivery and longer if you've had a cesarean which is it's not as simple as that because mm. just because you've had a vaginal delivery doesn't mean that it's been straightforward. Like, yeah, you could have had an episiotomy, uh, you could have had forceps, which can do a, uh, a whole lot of damage down mm. there. Obviously, needed to get the baby out, but that takes a long time to heal. Um, 
if you've had a cesarean, it might have been a, a planned cesarean, which would be more straightforward than if you were halfway through labour and then an emergency cesarean having to pull the baby back up from the birth canal. That's gonna that's a whole different thing as well. So mm. there's not just those two types of yeah, birth. Six there's... weeks or longer. <laughs> yeah, you go. I mean, yeah. you know, Serena Williams, her birth story, God. Yeah, I think right. it's worse Nearly than died. anything I've seen on One Born Every Minute. Would you like your child to run? Um, he's not far off. He's only eight <laughs> months, but he's not far off already. Um, I guess so. I think it's it's something that's brought a lot of um, good things into my life, but um, whether he does or... I think running just for... just just as running yeah mm. uh but also as part of anything else so i'd like him to be active mm. and i guess running is a fundamental skill for doing lots of different activities so yeah but, le- but less bother if it was running if it was football if it was rugby you, you don't mind basically oh i don't want him playing that <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. no i don't i don't i don't mind whatever makes him happy but god oh you can do anything. The, the you can do, tra- can do track running, rugby. trail running, bark run. <laughs> Any of them. Yeah, it's all open for None of the high contact sports. Nothing, yeah. nothing dangerous, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, t- tell us about, to go back to the start, tell us about Lazy Girl Running and, and why did you pick that name? Um, because that's how I saw myself uh, 10 years ago. It's 10 years since I started writing um, about running i i didn't know anyone that ran um when i first started so i started writing on the internet about it and i'd always always written as a job um so it it kind of made sense to me to write about this uh nobody was reading it i didn't even tell my parents so you know they're my biggest fans now but they didn't know so hardly hardly anyone was reading it but it was a good outlet for me to kind of um find what I felt about running and kind of I was reading actually the runner's world forum at the time because there wasn't social media wasn't like it is now 10 years ago I I remember someone in my office um showing me twitter and I was like well what's the point of this why why did why do people want to know that 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 we had for lunch um yeah 10 years my attitude to that's changed a lot (laughs) but I went on the runner's world forum and a lot of what I gleaned about running you know, some of it useful, some of it wrong, uh, was from people on there. And I guess that was that was before social media, yep. internet yeah. forums were the thing, weren't they? Yeah. And I guess your kind of pre-running life, it was very, I mean, it's very different, wasn't it? You weren't, you're not a lifelong runner. No, no. I, I was, um, yeah, very adverse to exercise. Uh, probably one of those people that I started off saying would look at you funny, um definitely look at you funny if you're exercising pregnant but um yeah I started going to the gym 10 years ago and decided that all the other things in the gym the elliptical the bike the weights were not for me but the treadmill kind of made sense and that if I ran a little bit this week and a little bit more next week it was tangible and it was it motivated me to keep going a little bit further each week even though it was a, a little bit further um I mean I started 14 minutes was my first run, and it was run-walk, and I think I did 1.14 kilometres in that time, which I'm pretty confident I could walk that far <laughs> in 14 minutes. But that was that was the start, and everything subsequently was um, building on that and an improvement. 
most people when they start a later life running journey tend to find running and then stick to running and sort of working their way through the distances and may well stop at a marathon or go on to ultras but you've gone into coaching yeah what was the point where you suddenly went (laughs) I need to tell everyone (laughs) well I ran out of friends that I could that weren't runners that I could make run and family members and I was like wow I'm gonna start with the wider community where I live so I um yeah I started with a bunch of flyers outside the tube and I handed them to people and I was a bit nervous that people were gonna take offense at me handing them a flyer that said lazy girl running um and I had thought oh maybe I should call it something different and my friend said no you should call it the same as your blog because that's who you are and people that identify as that themselves are, are who should be coming and I was like okay yeah yeah okay but still a bit nervous and um so I handed out these flyers put some in a couple of shops put some in a pub and and uh Southampton Arms oh, yeah. I, I said to them can I put these flyers here and they were like yeah what are they for so the running group they said oh don't think you'll get much takers in here and I said oh no Believe me, this is where this is where my people are. Um, and yeah, a few people came and they said, "Oh, I picked up your fly in the Southampton Arms." Um, I think on your way out, on after a few pints, you're like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna email and join up for that." Um, so yeah, I started with uh, maybe 15 women and took them through naught to 5k. And then at the end, they said, um, "Well, what do we do now?" And I was like, "Well." go fly my pretties <laughs> off you go and they were like no we want to come back next week what what can we do so I said oh do you want to do a 10k then and they were like yeah let's do a 10k so that kind of built from there and now yeah I've got people that have done marathons coming to a group and I still do the 0 to 5 um k group and that's a different group of runners every uh 10 weeks or so and then the improvers group where they some of them graduate into some of them go off to do other things some of them keep coming back. I've got some that have run with me for a couple of years. Nice. Um, and I coached with the Serpentine as well. They helped me um, work towards my coaching running fitness um, qualification. And I had some mentoring from one of the coaches there. And I used to do a Monday night session, introduction to track, which I took maternity leave from. But it's still going strong. Yeah, it's nice um, seeing people... Um, growing confidence over the weeks and do something that they thought they couldn't. And what about your own running goals then for like the next twelve months? Are you going to go and do some cross country for the Serpies, or you got a marathon? Or... Yeah, I do. I do want to go back to the cross country because it was sitting that out last winter. I got very jealous um, of all the runners running through the mud. It's easy to be jealous when you sat on the warm sofa, mm, isn't it? Agreed. Yeah. Um, but I've got my I've got my bag. My spikes bag ready to go, but I did a 10k on Saturday. I did the Pride 10k. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's nice. really, really good race. My is that London Front Runners. It is, stuff? yes. Yeah. Um, and it's on a Saturday at 11 o'clock, which is a brilliant time a because time. you get early. the Sunday to yeah, recover. Right. It's not too early, um, and then they have an after party. I think I had to go to my own after party, which was a one-year-old's birthday. Which is <laughs> that's my life now. Actually, slightly more out of control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I ran faster than I expected to. Um, and I think, I don't know if about you, but I used to run a lot of races. Sometimes I'd run them for fun or they're all for fun essentially, aren't they? But sometimes I'd run them casually. Sometimes I'd run as fast as I could, Mm. but now I, back to that guilt, I don't feel I can race all the time. Um, 
because essentially it's adding time to that. If it's a six-mile run and you're adding an hour each end to it that you're not running during, that's to me, that's a bit wasted time if I'm not going to run fast. So yeah. it was good because it made me run faster than I probably would have on Saturday. Um, but, yeah, I do feel like I should seize the opportunities if I'm going to pin a number to my yeah, for sure. self and take if that get, much of time get, away. get the free pass... fine you can go and do your race yes right i'll be home soon you know that's yeah you've got to go as quickly as possible i think i'm doing uh the royal parks half and then um qualify for boston again yeah nice young boston already now qualified then had a baby instead of entering yeah so classic but i'm older now so i don't have to run as fast oh that's good yeah that's good yeah still quite punchy though isn't it well it's 340 is the qualifying time, but in order to get a place, it's yeah. probably more like 3.35, yeah. yeah. But I ran 3.30 last time I qualified, so... Right. You're be fine. Five minutes slower? Yeah, um, you can walk the last mile. Pushing that buggy all push, the way around, Push that yeah. buggy, the, tri- Three the triple, yeah. I've only got one baby, but, you know, I could probably take, take a couple more. <laughs> yeah. we'll, get, we'll get a seven-year-old to go in the middle, that's how they go quick. <laughs> what I'd like to know is, do they qualify too? <laughs> that's a good point. I hope so, yeah. I hope so, yeah. This is the Runner's World Podcast. So, Ben, as well as being a runner, you're a keen cyclist. Guilty. So I thought this training session might appeal. I found it in a, the back issue of, of Runner's World and have been thinking about it almost constantly ever since. <laughs> right, bear with me. So, runner one sets off on a bike, while runner two follows on foot at 10k pace. Okay. After a mile or three minutes of hard cycling, runner one ditches a bike and sets off on foot at 10k pace. When runner two reaches the bike, he picks it up and sprints off in pursuit, soon overtaking. Okay. After another mile, runner two ditches the bike and the rolls reverse. Go as far as you wish or until someone steals your bike. Yeah, all right. I, can, I like the idea. It's like a constant handicap kind of race. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I could get on board. I mean, theft is clearly your, the, the most obvious outcome. Probably got to do it in a quiet park or on a crap bike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good idea. What I'm looking for is you to say, let's do it, and then we can tell the listeners about it next month. See how oh, we've oh, OK, sorry. That is a, that's very interesting. Let's do it. Right. Well, he said it now, so we will. All right, right. great. Br- um, bring your best bike. No, that'll get nicked. <laughs> this is the Runner's World podcast. Good Gym is a running group that combines running with doing social good. It was founded in 2009, and earlier this month, its members recorded 100,000 good deeds. Its founder, Evo Gormley, joins us in the studio to tell us more about Good Gym and why it's proved to be such a success. Evo, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Um, for any listeners still unaware of Good Gym, could you briefly tell us what it's all about and how you came up with the idea? So it's basically a way, a, a different way to motivate yourself to exercise. So uh, years ago, I wasn't doing any running. I wasn't doing much exercise at all. I used to play basketball, had stopped, didn't have a team anymore. And my friends were saying, go to the gym. And I just didn't like the idea of it. There was something about yeah, going down into a, a sweaty basement, paying loads of money, lifting loads of things that don't really need lifting, that just felt like a massive waste of time money energy um and surely there'd be a better way to do something so if i had to do something a bit unpleasant like running you might as well uh do something useful at least i thought um and so i started running to this isolated older man called terry he was stuck on his own he hardly saw any friends or family at all he only saw carers who were paid to see him and on tuesdays and thursdays he didn't he didn't often didn't see any other human beings at all um 
And so I used to run around and deliver him the Sun newspaper, which is what he asked for. Yeah. Um, and it just gave me a reason to get out of the house, mm. to go and um, to, you know, to, to, to get out and do some exercise. And for him, it was someone visiting him on a day that no one else would. And it just worked, and it actually got me into running. Um, I always used to think it was the sort of the not fun bit of sport. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he got me to extend my runs on the way home. I was only running like a K and a half to his right. house in the first place but he said you know on the way back just run a little bit further um start pushing yourself a bit more start speeding up and and that's what got me into running um and it was a great thing and, and also at the same time we became friends and i started finding out more and more about this problem of isolation and loneliness of older people which is actually much better known now but there are roughly a million um older people in the uk who are always or often lonely of which terry was one um, and I thought, well, if that got me into running, mm. maybe it would get other people to start doing it too. And so I started trying to spread the word and get other people doing the same thing. Yeah. Spreading that word, how how difficult was that initially to get people to listen? At, at the beginning, it was definitely just, a, I'll, I'll just tell a few people that I'm doing it and see if other people copy it. Mm. Um, and they definitely didn't. Um, and then <laughs> I started trying to sort of, um, yeah, set up a website to try and yeah. sort of spread the word a bit more started trying to interact with other organizations that work with older people who could perhaps yeah you know send people our way and then uh, found friends initially to match them up and um, started finding out about the whole thing about dbs checks criminal record checks yeah. that you need to do on people if you are sort of connecting people with people who are more vulnerable and um sorted out some of those health and safety issues yeah. and that was quite a quite a big bit of work but also realized that it's not not much fun filling out long forms yeah. um just to go for a run isn't sure. everyone's, everyone's sure. cup of tea yeah um so then started doing uh, group runs where instead of going to visit a older person we go and do a, 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 some basically manual labor for community projects mm. yeah. so our first one um a group of people i think about sort of 10 to 15 people gathered in bethnal green and we ran to go and help uh, a community centre who had this um, cupboard that they needed sorting. And also the council had uh, various posters around Bethnal Green Tube Station that were out of date that they wanted to be removed. So we ran about, I think the run was sort of five or six K. Mm. Um, with a group of us, uh, sorted out this mess of a cupboard for this um, community centre, chucked a load of stuff in a skip, sorted out everything else, and then ran to go and rip down these posters. Um, and it was just really fun. It was nice to run a slightly different route. It was good to have a, uh, something to do. The community centre were really grateful. Yeah. And it just started feeling like it was bringing people together in a slightly different way. And then when we started doing those weekly, um, then it started to feel like, hmm, there's something interesting going on here. Because yeah. people started to make friends. People, It became part of people's weekly routine to, to, to come together. People actually started talking about the you know it as an organization or it as a group and feeling like you're part of something which i think has become something really important to yeah. um, good gym members in general and obviously it's, i mean you hit an amazing landmark with a hundred thousand good deeds i mean was, has that kind of exceeded any expectations you had a good gym when you started it yeah i mean you never know what's going to happen do you I mean sometimes i think wow it's, it's it's incredible that we have done so much and that is just so many people's lives that are different because of it i think particularly with the older people um people very often in a very difficult uh, position when you can't get out of your house and then suddenly someone who's just wants to be your friend who um, you know is just up for a friendly chat that can make a huge difference yeah. and then yeah. what we do also of missions we call them where we go and help with changing people's light bulbs or smoke alarm batteries helping people get out in the garden again um, those things also really make a big difference so it is that that's it is it is incredible and I'm yeah very proud to be part of it and it is yeah just 
100,000 things that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. Um, and then other times I think there's so much more to do and we've still <laughs> got to keep going. You know what I mean? We've still, there is um, uh, isolation, loneliness. We're, we're only you know, a drop in the ocean in terms of really tackling it sort of uh, across the UK even. Um, and also all the community project work, there is just there is so much more to do. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love us to keep growing at the, yeah. at, at the rate we are and achieving more and more. Are there any good gym projects that stick out on your mind as being particularly special? Um, there, are, there are loads of amazing ones. Um, the, the one that uh, just looks absolutely spectacular, but I've never done, is, is um, in Sheffield. They're helping renovate this old cinema that just looked like it was falling apart. It's called the Abbeydale Picture House. Mm. Um, and it's just this incredible cavernous space. It's got you know um, multiple levels um and so uh once a month they go and do a big job for them like r- removing all the uh seats they've sanded huge floors they've knocked down walls they've done all sorts of big meaty tasks for this building mm. which is now um being used for all sorts of different things during the world cup they had um sc- they were screening the world cup there and oh, it just nice. looked amazing so they've yeah. helped bring this huge space back into uh back into being used again that was completely empty and derelict um, and that's just, it's just exciting, you know, going on, getting access to these places that you wouldn't ordinarily see. And then in the run reports, you see pictures of people doing like sit-ups on the main stage and right. running up and down the aisles. And it just looks like, you know, it's, it, it's you're never going to get a workout like that um, yes, anywhere else. Sure. I mean, on the kind of workout front, obviously the the social good that you guys do is incredible. How important is the the running aspect for you? Is it very much as important as the social good or is it? Just it, you feel like it's mainly about helping and a bit about running. It, it, it is the combination. You know, it's the mm. it's the good and the gym. We want everyone to come back sweaty and happy, um, having done something that has has made a difference. Um, it is hard though because we we're open to everyone. We don't have you know sort of beginners groups and 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 faster groups. So if you are a serious runner you're pr- probably not going to you know your good gym session is not going to be your hard session of the week right. um but we do have people who are you know serial marathon runners we do have oh, i should know this better there was the guy who held the um held the record for the great north run uh until quite recently okay. uh, right. runs of us in 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 norwich um there are yeah there are there are some really good runners right, okay. um, yeah. and it is you know you you are still out there running you will run probably between sort of 5 and 12k most most mm. most sessions um i think good gym generally sort of most effective in terms of fitness for people who are just getting into it i suppose mm. uh, it's a very welcoming experience you'll meet some nice people although you might be slower at running than some people you're probably not going to be the worst at digging so you know you've got this sort of nice mixture <laughs> yeah, yeah, of activities yeah. where you're not you know you know yeah. what i mean it's not it, and it's it's essentially non-competitive as well which i think really really helps you're not just judged by your speed a lot of people can be put off by the traditional running club for that reason it can feel like quite an intimidating yeah. space you know. and i think things are changing though across running and people are realizing that for the majority of people it's only you know a, a select few that are going to make it to the european championships or who are even going to be the fastest at park run um, and i think running community in general is get, getting better at recognizing that the mainstream is well it's loads of different experiences coming together mm. and that we're all going to reach our own you know type of success and for the success for one person might just be feeling better about 
who they are or feeling a bit more self-control or it might be you know it's not just about pbs and losing weight or you know there's so much more going on or that thing of connecting with other people even Mm. and i think we're just adding a sort of new a new layer to that but i feel like across the sort of running industry or community it is getting better at recognizing that there's so much more going on than just win 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 you mentioned you started in Bethnal Green and there's currently work going on in a Sheffield Good Gym branch. And how how sort of national have you gone now? How how what's the current like places that people can find Good Gym? And so it's it's pretty exciting. We're now most of the most of the big cities in England. Um, we are yes yeah, up as far as Newcastle. Uh, we just launched uh, last Wednesday in Swindon. Excitingly, um, my place so, of birth. So, oh really? Yeah. There oh, you go. Get yourself t- down t- there. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Love to have you involved. Um, so yeah, really exciting. Um, Liverpool going really well. Cardiff has been absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's it's forty five I think now active cities and cities and boroughs. Hopefully, by um, within the next year, we should be every city in the in the UK with a hundred thousand people or more. So, yeah, it, it, it's brilliant, and it's it's so exciting when a new place that is quite you know Newcastle is completely different to London, which is completely different mm. to Liverpool, mm. um, and you don't know that are people going to be up for this in that in that place. Um, and it's really exciting when a community starts to form and you see them sort of doing their own thing. Every area seems quite different in terms of mm. the way it's run, in terms of um, the people that come, the little sort of traditions that people have on the on the runs that are slightly different that make it have that sort of local yeah. feel. I think we hear a lot about budgets being cut for community projects and councils having no money. Do you think in that kind of environment, something like Good Gym is helping to fill that space? Yeah, I think I mean it, it, it's we also have our needs are growing, particularly with older people. We live much longer now, and we also don't live close to our parents anymore. So you know, we are. It's just it, there is a growing need for support, particularly for for older people. And on the on the flip side, uh, we've got more fat and sugar available than ever before, and so we're all eating more um so i don't know there just there just is um i don't know i don't have any anyone i particularly blame uh for any of the things to do mm. with cuts or uh, or lack of services it is just difficult to support this growing um population of people who are going to have higher needs at some stage yeah um but yeah i also think we are part of the we are part of the solution yeah. and what's exciting is i think people really want to be involved in that um what we find is particularly people moving to a new city it's quite hard to get under the skin of it mm. and really feel like you're part of a place and by doing this you're going to meet people like you you're also going to meet people very different to you you're going to meet a different generation you're going to find out about that um, project like the the food bank around the corner that you've never been into but now you've sort of you know you, you understand a little bit more about it or the community mm. garden in the housing estate that you pass by on the way to work every day but have never been into um, so you, you get that deeper sense of connection uh, to where you are. And I think that's actually something that is also a really important yeah. need of all of us is that you know, connecting with where you live in a, in, a, in a deeper way. For sure. Yeah, I think you make you care about your community more by, by doing something hands-on. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing is it's, is it's fun and it does keep you keep you motivated yeah um it is just the, the you know my favorite ones is when when you feel like you've been on a little adventure 
um, you've seen something different. Yeah. Uh, you've met some amazing people, and potentially you're going to go back to you know that go back to that project another time. Yeah. Well, we did some good gymming, didn't we? I've done some in Pimlico recently, kind of Victoria way. It was it was great. Yeah. yeah just some kind of high intensity gardening. I would def- I described the cleared out sports hall. Right. Are the, are the I think London's oldest sports club. Youth club. Yeah, youth club. It was, I think it's called St Andrews. That's the um, one. And they, uh, yeah, they do amazing work in Bimco, yeah. and it's this, um, it, it's just off, uh, like, Victoria... Kind of that way. High Street, or, yeah. or, or whatever it's called, it goes between Victoria oh, and Buckingham Palace. No idea. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's an amazing place, doing incredible work, working with um, thousands of kids e- e- each week, and, yeah, without either being a kid... Um, or working there, you probably yeah right never going to be inside. Um, so yeah, I, lo- I love that sense of being able to travel around London and um, see all these places and just have a slightly deeper understanding of what's going on and how how the city functions. Definitely. Does the demand for people to have a, a visit from Good Gym does that have you seen that increase more and more? Is it sort of pe- that not just the running side of it, but actually from the charity side of it that people places like youth hostels or um a community garden or something have heard more about you and they're getting in touch more regularly and there's sort of more demand for your the crew to arrive and help out yeah definitely and particularly um older people uh in the summer and winter sort of word word passes around when the weather's particularly hot or or cold that we are there to support and generally uh word of mouth or services passing on our details to others and we get uh, a, a lot of calls and the phone is always ringing in the in, in the office with people requesting support um, and that's one of the challenges for us is working out how we can help people uh, the most we've been doing some really amazing work with um, local authorities and NHS trust in terms of helping people get home from hospital a bit sooner uh, often one of the problems is that they need to have a hospital bed installed in their in their home or their bed is on the on the first floor or second floor and it needs to be on the ground floor because they are less mobile. Um, and so what we can do is just send around a couple of runners who can do that job, basically clear space for the hospital bed or move a bed from upstairs to, to downstairs. Um, and just doing that can then mean that someone can get home a bit quicker and also save the nurse's time from doing it themselves when they've got much greater skills yeah, that they can yeah. be better used to do other things um so we're also always finding out new things that we can that we can do that we're that we're good at um but yeah that's our job in the middle i suppose trying to make it as efficient as we can so that we can involve mm-hmm. as many people as possible and try to reduce the bureaucracy as much as possible because they're obviously you know we're dealing with quite vulnerable people we're dealing with quite complex range of tasks so it's got to be um yeah you've got to keep an eye on it so it's now a fairly big operation. I mean, how do you manage to keep it going? So it's a big mix of things. Many of our members make donations, which is fantastic. No one has to, but um, a lot of people choose to, which really helps to uh, support us to grow and reach more older people. Uh, we also work with a lot of local authorities, and we're also very lucky to be supported by New Balance and BT. So how does how does someone sign up to a Good Gym run? Um, so the easiest way is just to go to the website, goodgym.org. Um, and then you should be able to just put in your postcode and see find the nearest runs to you. Perfect. Great. Well, Eva, thanks very, very much for uh, for coming on the Runners World podcast. It was great to hear a bit more about Good Gym and uh, all the great work you're doing, and best of luck with it going forward. Big pleasure. Hopefully see you on the run soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. For more from Runners World, 
head to runnersworld.co.uk. It's not often you get the chance to talk to world marathon record holder Paula Radcliffe, but fortunately we were in Berlin ahead of the European champs and got a few minutes with the uh, superstar runner, BBC commentator and all-round lovely person, so we sat down with Paula to have a conversation about running. Uh, the audio from this interview is slightly busy, but um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's nice to bring a bit of international flair to the Runners World podcast. We're here in uh, in Berlin for a Nike event, and uh, it's a great honour to have Paula Radcliffe with us. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you. I mean, your record stood now for 15 years. Do you think, and the way that Nike have put effort into breaking two projects and, and things like that, I mean, do you think that someone will break yours soon? Or do you think that it was such a special, like, the training was perfect, your leading was everything that sort of worked out? See, but there was nothing special about me that the girls don't have now. Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of, I guess, a combination of everything coming together at the right time, for me on the right course, because London, the support that I got in London, was a huge plus for me. And people used to say, you know, London's not the fastest marathon, you should go to Berlin. I can remember Haile Gebrselassie saying, go to Berlin, you run 212 in Berlin. I said, I wouldn't, because the history that London had for me was an extra added element. And then preparation, the build-up through the previous year's racing and summer of 2002 went for me all kind of culminated in that being the best that I could could produce in 2003. Having said that, I thought I, would, I could go on to run quicker and to, to improve it, um, but it just never worked out. So that's why I think the marathon is so, it's so unpredictable. And those big barriers can go by quite a big margin. Just by running a little bit faster per kilometre or per mile, it makes a big difference. Do you think that the two-hour barrier will be broken. I mean, Elliot Kipchoge was 24 seconds off. 25, yeah, 25. 25 seconds off. Um, yes, I do. And I think the, the big factor in Monza was that people who were really sceptical before saying that will never, ever be done, they thought, saw then, OK, this, this is possible. It takes almost a superhuman effort. It certainly takes someone like Elliot, who's perfectly suited to the marathon at the peak of their career with perfect conditions and all of that but it's it's touchable now it's reachable how do you feel about the current state of british marathon running both male and female do you think we're in a good place with it right now yeah i think we're in a pretty good place i mean certainly we've just seen the british record broken which stood since 1985 so that was a huge barrier and i think for a long time British marathoning was kind of struggling to, to follow that tough standard that had been set by like Steve Jones, Charlie Spedding, Hugh Jones, that, that era. Um, and then you had John Brown come through and really performing at, at championships, but not the fast times. And, and now it's it's starting to, to come around, I think. So um, certainly, again, Moser at the front yep. of that, but Callum Hawkins is exciting. Do you think, do you think that Mo can win a major? Do you think that that's kind of his next... Yeah, I think it's, it's tough for him because he's around at the same time as Kipchoge, Galen Raab. Um, so a good, really good race for him. Can still see him, can see him finishing in, on the podium like in London, yeah. but not really close to kind of winning it. But I think that progression will, will evolve. Absolutely, he can win. He can win well. I think we always get a lot of questions about training. So I think, is there one session that you think is paramount, that has to be done 
for marathon training when you were training was the one that you just knew you couldn't there are like go-to ones that you know when you nail those you're really in shape and then there are the kind of bread and butter ones like the the long run and the kind of long tempo so the 10 mile tempo for me Um, and the long run were the key ones that if I did those and I got those in and they were good quality ones I knew I was really ready and then 10 days out I would do um, kind of a test fart legs, long fart leg session on the track um, which was a combined um, in total 12k of fart leg into a, a 6k, 4k, 2k breakdown yeah. set wise and if I hit that and I was able to add up the 6 and the 4 to kind of a 10k PB I knew I was ready to, to go and really hit sure, it. That was your benchmark. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That was really fun. For more from Runner's World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runner's World podcast. I want to say a big thank you to our guests, Eva Gormley, Laura Fountain and Mark Thornbury, and to Scramble Studios in Soho where this was recorded. For more from Runner's World, please visit our website, runnersworld.co.uk, where you'll find more news, reviews, interviews and everything from the wide world of running. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next month. Thanks. The Runner's World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios, Soho. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.